This is The Point, professional investing in Australia with Pendle. Welcome to The Point podcast from Pendle. Over the past week, the US and European central banks have made it abundantly clear that interest rates are rising. It's the same in Australia, but the world's second largest economy, China, is going in another direction. Authorities have been lowering interest rates in an effort to pick up the pace of growth. The China outlook is very different to many other parts of the globe. So how should investors think about China? To help us find an answer, I welcome back Amy Shear-Patrick, Head of Income Strategies at Pendle Group. Amy, nice to speak to you again. Same with you, Sean. So let's start at the top. Explain what authorities in China are doing around interest rates and why. So the PBOC in China, the first thing to remember about these authorities is that they are not independent monetary authorities as we know them in Australia and and in the US. So the central bank in China has been lowering interest rates, exactly as you have said, Sean. And it's doing that because the economy, quite frankly, is in a rut. Most major investment bank analysts expect that growth in China will fall to levels not seen over the last decade, quite frankly, and will struggle to to get above the 4% threshold for the next year or perhaps even more. So the reason why China's central bank is easing when the rest of the world is tightening is because its economic situation looks a lot more dire. Okay, so can we just pick that apart? COVID, what sort of role has that played in in the zero tolerance policy? It's played a very strong role. When we look at China's COVID cases, they were very well managed for a very long time. And because they were so well managed, the zero COVID tolerance policy wasn't really felt until Omicron hit. And when Omicron hit, because it's a strain that spreads so quickly, all of a sudden China's cases jumped. But to give you a sense of just how stringent China's zero tolerance policy still is towards COVID. China has a population of nearly one and a half billion people. According to Johns Hopkins data, its total confirmed cases are fewer than two and a half million. Compare that to the US, where the population size is less than a quarter that of China's, and total confirmed cases are at 95 million. That probably alone, that statistic alone tells you just how tight that zero tolerance control of COVID policy is on China. And it limits everyone's movement. It limits business activity. It limits consumers' abilities to go out and spend money, to go to restaurants, to enjoy normal services, and to enjoy travel and leisure. And all of that has taken a massive toll on economic activity. So you're right, Sean, zero COVID is a large part of why China's economy is where it is right now. Okay, what about the property market? Because we hear and read so much about the crisis in the property market in China. Absolutely. And, you know, actually, this is how it all started this time around in China. China's economic cycles over the last decade have largely been self-engineered. It usually booms to a point where authorities get concerned about whatever is causing that boom. And typically, that's always been property. You know, China's property market is quite unique in that it is the one place in the world where its top tier cities have vacancy ratios of around about 25%. So just think about it, about a quarter of the properties in big cities like Shanghai and Beijing just sit vacant. They're not even being rented out. There is a huge oversupply of properties. And the reason people like the property market so much in China is because 
the other financial assets within the economy are so underdeveloped. Property is a store of wealth for the Chinese population as a whole. But the amount of debt that gets accumulated behind the sector, not so much on the consumer side, but much more so on the developer side, has gotten authorities really worried that if it continues to stimulate the economy out of trouble, out of times of negative shock and stress, that debt levels will simply become unsustainable and mm. the whole sector can become a systematic problem for China as a whole. So this whole situation started with the authorities in China wanting to get a grip on the debt situation behind the property market. Okay. What about the geopolitical tensions and just park the right and wrongs of it? Just the fact, though, that Taiwan is such a focus for Beijing and Washington, as well as countries like Australia and and certainly others in the region. Yes. So like you say, we are going to park the rights and wrongs of it. Ultimately, for China, I think it's an issue that it will have to address at some point. But I think it's not as straightforward to look at what's happened this year in the Ukraine with Russia's invasion and extrapolate that in a straight line towards China. If you look at how China's wielded its influence, broadened its influence over not only Asia, but the global economy, it really has used the wallet more than it has used the threat of the stick. As in, looking at policies such as One Belt, One Road, it very much wants to build allegiance and alliances across the world through economic ties. This is what China likes to do and what it prefers to do. And quite frankly, you know, none of us want to see military action escalate in Taiwan or anywhere else for that matter. What recently has been happening with China is that obviously, whether rightly or wrongly, it feels that it has been provoked into some sort of a response. Now, most recently, it seems like the noise on that front has died down. I do think that ultimately, the situation in Taiwan will need to be resolved at one level or or another. But I do think that if you take what China has been doing for the last decade in terms of building its influence over various economies in the world, it will try to build that influence over Taiwan rather through economic ties than military ones, is my opinion. Okay. So bringing all that together, COVID, property market, geopolitical tensions, where China started at, What's the prognosis for the Chinese economy? And and most importantly, what's it mean for investors that have already invested in China or are thinking about investing in China? That's a really big question, Sean. So let's break (laughs) it apart a little bit. Let's start, first of all, with fixed income markets. And let's look, first of all, in China. So it does make a difference that China's economy is not ruled by independent monetary policy. This means that as far as the the yield situation for Chinese fixed income goes today, although interest rates have been lowered, you will not see yields fall by much more from here. In fact, you may well have seen that yields have already bottomed. The reason is because for all the reasons that we've talked about today in this podcast, China's economy is where it is right now because of the actions that the policymakers have taken to reduce debt in the property sector and the policy actions of Beijing to control COVID in the economy. None of these are price sensitive to interest rates, i.e. the private sector, the common household's attitude towards borrowing, the average business's attitude towards taking out lines of credit is not dependent on the price 
of that cost of debt right now. It, the confidence is being eroded by something much more. So for Chinese fixed income assets, it would be wrong to think about it as the Chinese economy is weakening and therefore we should buy fixed income. However, if these headwinds continue to build for China, if the stimulus efforts in China continue to be as piecemeal as they have been, the outlook for global fixed income is actually very bullish. Because we all know the old adage, when China sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold. Well, the rest of the world has already got a cold, right? We've got our hip pockets hit by high levels of inflation. We've got interest rates climbing in Australia. People are worried about, you know, higher mortgage payments. People are already facing higher mortgage payments in the US. And on top of that, you've got the world's second largest economy slowing and showing no great signs of a massive turnaround anytime soon. All of that is very bullish for global fixed income. Now for global risky assets, on the other hand, I think you have to be a little bit pick and choose. You have to think about the texture of the slowdown in China and what it means across various equity market sectors for the rest of the global economy. Amy, thank you for talking to The Point. Thank you, Sean. That was Amy Sherpatrick, Head of Income Strategies at Pendle. You've been listening to The Point podcast from Pendle. I'm Sean Aylmer. Have a great day.